Hey, this is Junior. Thanks for hitting play. Love yourself. That is plastered everywhere. This whole idea of self-love. Everybody's talking about it. What does scripture say? What does God think? Let's talk about it. You don't have to scroll through social media very long before you run into this mantra of our society, this idea of self-love. And by self-love, what we mean, the definition, is being in love with every part of yourself, even if you're a jerk, being in love with every part of yourself, body and personality, knowing that you are number one. Number one. In fact, you don't need to just put yourself first. You should do more than that. You should be, be a master at, at loving yourself. You should be part of, of you should love every part of your, our, yourself because if you love yourself, other people will love you as well. So be a master at it. I love me. It's not just on social media that we find this. We find this everywhere. One of the bands I loved listening to in high school was Lifehouse. Remember Lifehouse? They were a, a professing Christian band, and years ago they had this line in one of their popular songs, you have to love yourself if you can ever love me. If you really want to love me, you're going to have to love yourself first. So you have Justin Bieber put out a Love Yourself, whole album, I mean, hit the top charts. You have Oprah Winfrey jumping on this whole bandwagon of self-love, the top 10 ways to, to love yourself. It's, it's everywhere, this whole idea of I love me. It's cute, it's trendy, it's politically correct, it's how you save yourself and the world around you. If we just did this better, depression, bullying, anxiety, crime, divorce rates would all decrease. However, believe it or not, as this mantra has taken hold of our society, as this has become more popular, the exact opposite has happened. Depression, anxiety, crime statistics is on the rise with it. And could it be, and I know this is very politically incorrect, but could it be that the mantra of our society, our society's current obsession with self-love, could it be it's actually doing the opposite of what we're hoping it would do? Second Timothy chapter three is where we're going to be today. Second Timothy chapter three, it's page 996 in the Bibles and the chairs. Really encourage you to grab a Bible because as I said, uh, we're thinking critically, we're thinking biblically. So it's good to all have the Bible in our hands. We have notes uh, in the bulletin as well, we're just gonna we're gonna go for it today. Again, I know this can be a difficult topic. I know a lot of people, good people, who would disagree with what we're going to get into. But I believe that if we're all gracious with each other, uh, we can learn what God really has for us in this. Second Timothy three one. Let me pray, and we'll jump right in. God, I thank you so much for your word. This is your word, the truth from our Creator. God, may we take this time very seriously, understanding the weight of this, that as we gather together as brothers and sisters in Christ, we're hearing from dad, what, what an amazing privilege that is. And so may you remind us just of the weight of this moment together, the, the weight of the words on, on these pages. This is, this is from you, divinely inspired. And God, I, I pray that you zero us into what you have for us. May you eliminate all distractions and really take this time for all it's worth. We, we thank you so much that we get to do this. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we enter into 2 Timothy, a man stares at a blank scroll. The daylight from the open window illuminates the imperfections on the yellowed canvas. And so he grabs a small little terracotta jar. 
He places it on the scroll to use it as a paperweight so it doesn't curl back up. This is a familiar sight for him, this table, the scroll. For the last 30 years, he's filled so many canvases with the stroke of his pen. He's a writer, and his letters would be treasured for thousands of years. Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, letters that would teach the church for, for generations upon generations. So he's been here before sitting down, looking at a blank canvas. But today is different. This canvas that he's looking at is different. His mindset is different. Because this is the last time. This is his last letter. The open window invites the sounds of bustling Rome just outside, the clatter of horse hooves on the, on the cobblestone street outside, the chatter of ladies walking, walking past on their way to the market. And he knows it won't be long before he's led through those streets to a public building for execution. And so he sits at this table, one last letter, one last treasure for the church to hold on to. And now we find ourselves reading the last part of that last letter, verse one of chapter three. Paul writes this, he writes, but understand this. So don't forget this. If, if you were with us today, say, highlight this, circle this, underline this. That in the last days, let me just hit pause here for a second, because sometimes Christians can get like really distracted and really hyped whenever we hear the word last days. Because whenever we hear the word last days, we, we think of like the weeks before Jesus comes back, right? The days before Jesus comes back. That's not necessarily what Paul means here. Throughout the New Testament, this is really important to understand as we read scripture, throughout the, the, the New Testament, last days always refers to the days between Jesus's resurrection and Jesus' second coming. So when we run across last days, that's, that's what it means. The, the time between Jesus' resurrection, Jesus' return. So right now, according to the New Testament writers, we are in the last days. Now that doesn't mean that I think Jesus' second coming is going to be this week. I have no idea if it's going to be. I would, that'd be great, like get us out of here. This doesn't necessarily mean tribulation though. It means today, in the last day. So today, the day we're reading this, but also the day that Paul wrote this. In the last days, look at this. There will be, in the last days, there will be times of difficulty. Now, the original word for difficulty here actually means violence or upheaval, which we're seeing around us today. Just in Chicago alone, what are we at for murders? I think it's over 200 murders just so far this year in 2022. Carjackings are on the rise. Shoplifting is on the rise. Uh, assaults are all on the rise. And we can all sit here and we can debate. We can kind of point at this reason and that reason and get all political and get into this big political discussion. But regardless of the why, at the end of the day, Paul called it. He said the difficulty is going to get turned up. And then Paul says why the difficulty is going to get turned up, why it's going to get worse. And, and this is incredible. These words were written 2,000 years ago, and yet you read these today and it hits so hard. Paul says, here's why things are going to get worse. And he doesn't say, well, you elected the wrong officials or you have the wrong rulers in place. Paul doesn't get political. Paul doesn't say things are going to get worse because you know, this, hap you know, this happened in, in politics. Look at verse 2. He says, the difficulty in our world is going to get turned up. Why? Because people are going to be lovers of selfies. <laughs> Not really. No kind of... We don't need to talk about selfies. You know, selfie videos are like a new thing today. Have you heard this or seen this? Like you take a video of yourself and then you like add music to it. Just come on. We might be in the tribula tribulation. 
But actually, the, the way that Paul writes this in Greek is, is, pretty, is pretty humorous, at least to me. But we lose some of the humor in translation. The word for lovers comes from the Greek word meaning uh, philau. Uh, philau, which means to have an affection for. In fact, many people would use um, this phrase to say kiss. So you may now philau your bride. The way he uses it here is philautos, tos meaning yourself. Quite literally, if you were to translate this literally, you could translate it as to kiss yourself. For people will be kissers of self. Paul writes, people just, they'll kiss themselves. They're going to be so in love with themselves. Everything's about them, how they look, how they feel, how they're seen. They're just going to be kissing themselves in the last days. Now, I think when the early church first read this, they kind of laughed. Oh, this is kind of funny. Now, we don't really laugh today because we kind of feel like Paul is making fun of us, which maybe he is. But here's what I find so fascinating about this text, though, and this is huge. It sticks so well. I mean, Paul is such a fantastic writer. This is such a powerful picture that Paul's going to start painting here. If you look at your Bibles, Bibles in your hands, starting in verse 2, all the way through verse 5, Paul makes this list of junk that people are going to get into. You see that? But Paul starts with lovers of self, and for a reason. Because the whole list from verses two through verses five, this whole list flows from self-love. I can't help but think that when Paul is writing this, he's thinking of a sewer pipe. And hear me out on this. Romans, Romans were incredible engineers, especially with plumbing. A few months ago, I was hiking through a Roman engineered a sewer pipe, actually. I know it sounds really disgusting, but it hadn't been used for 2,000 years, so it's okay. But hiking through this thing, and it was still, it could, it could still function today, 2,000 years later. Just the Romans and, and their engineering was just incredible. It's not far-fetched to think that as Paul is writing this in Rome, outside his window, there's a crew working on some of the sewer systems. And you're thinking, okay, Junior, that's cool, but what does this have to do with this text? Good question. Verses two through five, Paul is going, again, he's going to list all this junk. So look at that, brutality, slander, pride. All of this sewage is going to bury us in our world. And all of that sewage comes from the sewer pipe that Paul starts the whole list with, the philato, the, the, the self-love. Self-love, put it this way, self-love is the pipe, or may I say the sewer pipe, for which all the difficulty in this world is going to flow. All the nastiness that we see around us, the fighting, the bitterness, the anger, the envy, all of that drips from the sewer pipe of philautos, of self-loving. And I know, listen, I know this sounds so backwards to what is preached in our society, right? Our world screams the opposite. You go to any sort of like, pep rally at a school or any sort of like university or maybe even office trainings, they'll say, you know, to have better health, to get rid of crime, to get rid of bullying, we just all have to love ourselves more. But what Paul, the, the, the point that Paul is making, the case that Paul is making here is no, 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 that actually makes it worse. And if you were to look at statistics, statistics actually side with Paul. For example, last month, the Department of, of, of Health released statistics on depression and anxiety. It is skyrocketing. So in an age where we're all saying, love yourself, that's become the mantra, it's hitting all the top charts, depression and anxiety have seemed to be becoming the results. So it's certainly not helping. Some would even argue that self-love is only hurting mental illness. Crime statistics are the same. As self-love has become more and more embraced and paraded, crime has only gotten worse. Secular sociologists are writing that this culture that we live in right now is by far the most narcissistic culture that has ever existed. 
By far, we are the most narcissistic culture that has ever existed. If, if historical cultures were to hear about us today, I think their mind would be blown. Wait, wait, hold on, wait a minute. Everyone builds their own page and then counts their likes? Like they build their own shrine to, them, to themselves? And everyone thinks that their voice should be heard and that their opinion matters most? I'm, I'm, listen, I'm not saying that social media is wrong. I'm on it for, for now. It's not, it's not wrong in its place. I'm just saying that as a society where the whole idea of me is not just normal, but it's, it's very highly encouraged today. And so sociologists are writing now, our society is becoming more and more narcissistic with the most narcissistic culture in history. So as countercultural as all of this is, and again, I know I feel, I feel like such an old man for getting up here and like speaking against this, but as countercultural as this idea is, there is something here that we at least have to consider. Paul is onto something here. The junk that we see all around us is coming from this self-love pipe. And look what comes out of the self-love pipe. It's in, it's in scripture, but the first one is lovers of money. All right, love of money points to love of self. I deserve that. Treat yourself. I should have that. And when we see this, when we see this phrase, automatically our minds, we think of like uh, uber rich people, right? Anytime we think of greed, we always think of just like people who are rich, but like even though we're rich, like people who are richer than us. Like when I look at this phrase, I think of, my, my mind goes back to, um, last week I was, I was near West Palm Beach and I was in this uh, harbor area and I pointed at this massive building on the beach. And I said to my friend, I said, man, that's crazy. They like that. They built a mall on the beach. That's awesome. And my friend said, no, that's a guy's house. Like what? I mean, this thing was like bigger than some malls I've, I've seen. It's just like this ginormous palace. And so automatically my, my mind, when I think of this, I'm like, like greed, look at that. But then when I came home, I returned to this mountain of bo Amazon boxes in front of my front door. <laughs> Reality is, Personally, I've seen just as much obsession with money in those who don't have as much money. Always talking about money, how they need it, how they could use it, hinting to get more. And this is what Paul is saying, is as the difficulty in this world go goes, lovers of money or, or of stuff. I doubt I'm the only person here who has like a mountain of boxes in front of my door. Greed doesn't just flow from self-love, though. Look what else flows from self-love. Arrogance, pride. We live in a society that does more talking than listening. We live in a, a world that does more posting than reading. Uh, recently, my buddy posted this, this, this picture, and I, I thought it was, it was so, so good. It's so true, even of me. Brain is on empty, mouth is on full. Brain is, we don't have much up here, but we're just spewing it out over, you know, down here. We so often don't know what we're talking about, but we're still going to talk, and we're still going to argue, and we're still going to get hurt, and we're still going to post, and we're still going to get angry as if we did know it all and we were right. That's just arrogance, and it comes from self-love. My voice should be heard. My opinion should change yours. How dare you think different than me? Because it's me. It's arrogance and pride coming from self-love. Just look, all this stuff. Paul just lays it all out in these. Three, four, five verses, all of this stuff, appearing, appearing godly but denying its power, you can be treacherous, lovers of pleasure, abusive, brutal, unappeasable, unholy, heartless, reckless, slanderous. And then Paul says something fascinating. He doesn't just tell us to reject this self-love theology. He takes it a step further. Look at the end of verse five. He says, avoid such people. 
step away from those who are swimming in the sewage. Avoid them because they are just opening the sewer pipe more and more and it's just going to get you nasty. Self-love isn't just some cute, harmless little myth. The case Paul is making is it's deadly. Now, to be fair, Paul is not saying that we should hate ourselves. We should take care of ourselves. We should accept how God has made us. We should feel comfortable in our own skin and we should improve ourselves and we should be healthy. That is great. We should do that. We should learn to recharge our batteries and and take care of yourself. Absolutely do that. Jesus did that. Jesus would get away, get away from the crowds. He'd recharge his batteries, but all with the intent of I am recharging so that I can go out and give more to other people and give better of myself to other people. See, the basics of self-love, the basics of self-love, what we're talking about with self-love is putting your desires first. You are number one, focus on you. And that has become the pipeline through which all the sewage in our world flows. And the reason is, is you and I weren't designed to be number one. We can't handle being number one. When we attempt to put ourselves as number one, things start falling apart. Some of our lives are falling apart because we keep putting ourselves as number one. And this has always been true. This is what happened in, in the Garden of Eden, isn't it? Like Adam and Eve, they didn't just take that fruit because, oh, it just looks so juicy. No, they wanted to be like God. They wanted to be number one. When they tried to put themselves in that position, their desires first, the Garden of Eden fell apart. And we haven't stopped doing that. Families, communities, churches, nations are falling apart all around us because we keep putting ourselves First, self-love vandalized the Garden of Eden and is continuing to break up our world all around us today. And again, I, listen, if you're wrestling with this, I get it. I, I totally get it. This is backwards to normal today. But then again, do you really want normal? <laughs> is normal working? I don't think normal is working because normal is depressed, statistically. Normal is debt, Statistically, Uh, statistically, normal is divorced. Normal is anxious. Normal is addicted. Normal is being bitter. Normal is miserable. Normal isn't working. So maybe, just maybe, Paul's onto something here. Plus, whether you're wrestling with this or not, I bet you can agree with what I'm going to say next. Here's something I've come to understand. You ready for it? Here's what I've come to know that this is absolutely true. Junior Ziegler is the worst. He really is. And and maybe you had someone else tell you that. Hey, Junior, he's the worst. And they are right. Junior is terrible. You don't know him like I do. He tells me to focus on me. Junior constantly tells me to treat myself, to give in to my urges. He tells me that I deserve everything. Like the other day, I was was walking by a store, actually with denim. I was walking by the store, and I saw this beautiful hat displayed in a window, and it caught my eyes, drawn in. I went inside the store, and I asked if I could try on that hat. He gave it to me, and I looked at the price tag. It was 200 bucks. I don't know that hats could cost it. 200 bucks for a hat. Like, Nicole would kill me. I was going to put it away. But Junior Ziegler told me, now you should at least try it on. And it looks so good. And Junior Ziegler told me that I deserve that. You worked hard. And not much look, looks good on you anyways. It's classy, and you need some class. And you have a credit card, and you deserve this. And Nicole doesn't need to know how much you spent on this. You can hide that from her. Like Junior Ziegler and I, we got into this fight. Now, thankfully, he lost. It was a fight. But Junior Ziegler isn't good for me. He's always telling me to think about myself, to put myself first. He's selfish. He's not good. He marked my words. Junior Ziegler is the worst. Now, thankfully, God had a plan for that. God said, I have an idea. Why don't we kill Junior Ziegler? 
Seriously, this is littered throughout scripture. Galatians 5.24 says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed their passions and their desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. So my passions, my desires, my nature, my potential hat, my needs, they don't come first. They're nailed to the cross and they're left there. When I decided to follow Jesus, God said to me, Junior, together, here's what we're going to do. We're going to kill Junior Ziegler, and we're we're going to make a new one. That's what it means to become a believer and walk this path of sanctification, this process of denying myself so that Christ can live within me. Because in reality, I don't want Junior Ziegler in charge anymore. I don't want his cheap, insufficient, harmful love. I don't want his confidence. I don't want Junior Ziegler's direction because Junior falls short every time. I want less of Junior and I want more of Jesus. I don't need to love Junior Ziegler more. I need to kill him more. And the more I do that, the more I'm able to embrace what God is doing in me. See, the less I look inward, the more I find upward. The less I love me, the more of his love that I feel, and I'd rather feel his love than my cheap love. I want to take this a level deeper, though, because self-love isn't just popular in our world. It's it's becoming very, very popular in churches. In fact, maybe you came from a church that talks about how you need to love love yourself more, and and I get that. It's very, very popular. Uh, Hayden, Hayden, who led worship here earlier, uh, he sent me this meme uh, this past week, and I wasn't going to show it, uh, because I don't want to be, listen, we don't want to be those Christians, at least here at the, at the bridge. We don't want to be those Christians who are always critiquing other churches and other pastors all the time because it's just, it's just not us and it's not a good look. Um, but this fits so perfectly um, that I just feel like I want to show it. It's about Joel Olstein, um, who, by the way, he says some good stuff sometimes and, and I, don't like, I don't judge the guy's heart. But in his book, The Power of I Am, he repeats this. He repeats, I am prosperous, I am successful, I am talented, I am healthy, I am positive, I am beautiful, I am attractive. So this whole idea of like love yourself. You need to tell yourself, I am all of these things because you're great. And it sounds so inviting, it sounds so empowering, but the pages of scripture say the exact opposite. Paul says, I'm wretched. I'm wretched. And it's just so true. This is what scripture says. And I'm, I guess I'm not picking on Joel Olstein. This is, this is becoming huge in the church today. When, when I was a sophomore in, in high school, my youth group, we went to this conference in Green Bay, Wisconsin. Um, I love Green Bay. We was, I won't get into the Packers. I was thinking about it. But we were at this conference, thousands of Thousands of high schoolers. We had bands and, and big name speakers. The energy was just electric. I, I love this conference. And toward the end, one of the biggest nights, it was like the, the final night, the speaker got up and popped a verse up on the screen. It's a very, very well-known verse. It's a quote from Jesus. In fact, even if church isn't your thing, you're not really into this whole God thing. I'm sure you've heard uh, this Jesus quote before, but he popped this up on the screen. He said, love your neighbor as yourself. And then he added this. He said, you can only love, this is what Jesus is saying, you can only love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. So to do what Jesus is telling you to do to love others, you first have to love yourself, accept yourself, know how to put yourself first before you can love others. And that was met with thunderous applause. I mean, the room just ate it up. And since then, I've heard this idea more and more and more. I've read it in many, many Christian books. Many have taken it a step further and they say, Jesus is commanding you to love yourself. In this 
phrase right here, there's two commandments, to love yourself and to love your neighbor. Is that really what Jesus is saying here? See, this is what happens when we take a verse out of context. When we read scripture, when we read a verse, we have to read it within the context that it was written. And here's the context of which this is written. Jesus, here's the full thing that Jesus says. Jesus says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great, and this is the first commandment. Then he says, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law of the prophets. So I've, again, I've, I've heard some pastors, guys that I look up to will point to this and say, there are three commands here. Love God, love your neighbor, love yourself. The problem that I have with that is Jesus counted for us. <laughs> Twice he counted for us. He says there are two commandments. Verse 39, the second. Not the second and third. The second. The second commandment. Love your neighbor. Verse 40. On how many commands? On these three? No, not on these three commands. These two commands. Love God, love others, not love yourself. See, what Jesus is saying here in this text is Jesus is just assuming that you already love yourself. Which is true, because Jesus is always right. Ephesians 5 says nobody hates themselves. That's a big thing today, right? This is like junior sound really insensitive, because so-and-so, I know so-and-so, and and they they hate themselves. Well, according to Ephesians 5, they, they don't really. Scripture says nobody hates themselves. Now, we might say we do, but if you slam your hand in the car door when you get into the car on your way home, none of us are going to say, I'm glad that happened because I hate my hand. None of us are going to say that. We're, we're going to nurse our hand because we, we care for it. The issue is, and I know this is a tough pill to swallow, but this is just biblical. The issue is we, we don't, it's not we don't love ourselves enough. The issue is we love ourselves too much. Case in point, when we have a conversation, who do we want to talk about? We want to talk about us, our favorite topic, because we love ourselves. This is exactly why Jesus tells us that if anyone would come after me, if you want to follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. He doesn't say love yourself. It's not, you need to deny yourself. See, the difficulty that I face in life, the issues that I have, they all stem from me loving myself too much, not from me not loving myself enough. And again, I know how this sounds like I can't tell you how much I struggled with this sermon because I feel like such an old man here. You know, kids these days are evil. Justin Bieber, Joel Olstein. Ah! Like, I know it sounds like so negative and I don't mean to sound negative or, or old man-ish, but this is the myth we have to drop if we want to grow closer to God. So what's our response to this? Because we don't want to just like tear all this down. What's our response like self-love is, the, is our society's mantra. It is everywhere. What do we do? How do we respond? What do we tell our kids? What do we tell our grandkids? Because we're not for like self-hate. So what do we do with this? We have three biblical responses to self-love. Three biblical responses. These are in your notes. Number one, embrace how God made you. Embrace how God made you. I have three girls. All three are very, very different from each other. And it's funny, my youngest, she's four. She's far more athletic than her older sisters. Like she beats them up physically all the time. Uh, she's in gymnastics right now, and the, the competition coach for seven-year-olds like wants to bring her onto the, the team. You know, she's just she's just very good, very very coordinated. Her other two, her other two, not so much. And I'm not bragging. She didn't get that from me. She's just far more coordinated than her sisters. So now there's a potential problem in our house because my the older girls, my my older two, can look at the younger one with envy. 
She can beat them at anything. Like she's the golden gymnast girl. And so part of my job now as, as their dad is to talk about, no, no, you need to embrace how God made you. God didn't make you to, to do flips easily. That's okay. God made you this way. And that's just as great. We celebrate that and we embrace and we worship how God made us. So all three are very different, but they're at their best when they embrace how God made them. It's the same with all of us. God made all of us very, very differently. And it's very easy, and sometimes we're guilty of this, aren't we? We kind of compete, and we become envious of each other. For example, Hayden was up here earlier. I wish I could play guitar like Hayden, because I like music. I think making music would be a blast. Hayden would probably love to teach, because Hayden loves to talk. And so we could sit there, and we could be envious of each other and try to usurp each other's roles, but God created Hayden to lead music, and God created me to teach for now, and we're at our best and most united when we embrace how God made us. So embrace how God made you. Now excel, work hard to get better, but embrace how God made you, the gender he made you, the height that he made you, the color of your skin. Embrace how God made you. And that is very different than loving yourself. Think about it this way. For me, there are parts of myself I don't like. Um, I don't have a forehead. I have a five head. Just a big old forehead. I hate it. I have a couple crooked teeth. Hate those. I have a crooked nose. I broke it in soccer, never got it adjusted. So now I have this crooked nose and it kind of sticks up in the front. I hate that. My ears used to stick out. In middle school, um, I would spike my hair in the front and the girls in my class would tell me that it looked like I ran into a wall really fast because my hair went up, my ears went forward, my nose smashed up. <laughs> Thanks guys, really appreciate you laughing at me. No, I'm just joking, I'm past it now. I'll just go home and love myself more. Um, no, I, don't, I don't need to figure out a way to love those parts of me because I won't but I can embrace how God made me. Okay, God chose to give me a five head. All right, like that's his call, not mine. I'm just going to embrace that. I'm just gonna live. This is why King David wrote, he wrote, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. That's not like some cocky, prideful, look at me, I'm beautiful. That's just an example of embracing how God made you. So when it comes to lots of these big conversations today, like body image or transgenderism, we get that question a lot. This is the answer to that. Why don't we embrace how God made us? Because now I'm not trying to find some inner fulfillment, whatever that is, because I'm not going to find it for me. Instead, I'm finding fulfillment in God and how God created me. And that's the sweet spot when I can live in that. Our second response, biblical response to self-love is love God. Love God. I mean, this is, I, you, you just can't not talk about it. This is straight from Jesus, the greatest commandment. Love God with all you got. Instead of focusing on loving yourself, well, let's just focus on loving God more. We don't need more self-love. We, we need more love of the divine. That's the danger in all of this. The more we look to ourselves, that takes us away from looking to God more. If you follow Jesus, your whole life is framed around how much you love God. That's it. And I know that seems like such an elementary point, right? Like, oh, you should be talking about this in Bridge Kids, Junior. But your whole life boils down to how much did you love God? It's the single greatest commandment. Love God. And we love God by point number one, embracing how God made us. Man, I love God so much. I, I'm great with however he made me. This is how God created me, imperfections and all. And so I'm going to capitalize on how God created me, and I'm going to worship him in that and how he created me, and I'm going to serve him with the gifts that he's given me to serve him with. We love God through obedience. Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Do what I tell you, tell you to do. Like Get into the word and obey it. That is loving God. Sometimes parents... 
with uh, adult children who aren't in the church, they'll want to meet with me because I think they think like I can reach their child because I have tattoos or, or something. Um, but often they'll say to me in, in the meeting, um, they'll, they'll say to me, oh, Junior, like, they're not around church or anything like that. They're, they're kind of wayward right now. Um, but I know they love God. And, and I get why they say it. It makes them feel better and, and they're hurting. And I would never say this to them to their face, but, but I do question that. Do they love God? Because to love God is, is to do what he says. To love God is to submit. To love God is to be part of his community and to love God is to be in his word and to love God is to be working for his kingdom. This whole idea of loving God, it's not this feeling we're supposed to feel. It's an action that we're supposed to carry out. And so we focus our energy not toward us, pampering ourselves and building our self-esteem. Instead, now I'm focusing on, on God pursuing him and obeying him through embracing how he made me and obedience. Then number three is love others. Love others. I was talking with Nanette this past week. She, uh, she's not here tonight, but um, if you know her, she's this awesome Bariqua who stands by the door. Bariqua means Puerto Rican woman, by the way. Uh, her husband's Jimmy. He's one of my best friends. They're just awesome people. But Nanette was telling me that when she counsels uh, a woman going through a very difficult time, so often that woman will want to retreat inward and just kind of disappear and kind of crawl into themselves, which is definitely my tendency. I want to do that. If I'm struggling, I just crawl into myself. I don't want to talk. I just crawl into myself. Problem is, is I never crawl back out of myself better than I was before. Always worse. And so Nanette told me this week, she said, it's, and this is so simple, but so brilliant. She said, I tell the ladies all the time, if you're struggling, go serve someone. If you're really going through something, go love somebody. Go be Jesus. Like, go get out there. That's very hard, but there's incredible power in that. It's the teaching of Jesus Christ. The second greatest commandment is like the first. Love your neighbor to the degree of which you already love yourself. This is why Jesus repeats self-denial. It's an act of love. For me to go home and love my wife and my kids, I have to de deny myself something. Deny myself time to you know, encourage them, spend some time. Deny myself pleasure by having hard conversations in order to love them. To love always requires self-denial. This is why Jesus' followers should be the most selfless conversationalists. We're just loving others by denying what we want to talk and just always asking questions, figuring out what they want to talk about and just talking about what they want to talk about because we're just denying ourselves in conversation. And that attitude just spills over into all of life. This is how we live. We're just denying ourselves to love others. This is how we live by faith. I'm going to have the faith that God has created me the way he wanted to create me. And so I'm going to accept how God created me. I'm going to pursue God, and I'm going to deny myself and love others. And I'm going to have the faith that God will take care of my needs. The happiest people I know, the happiest people I know, live this out. I pick on my wife all the time when I preach, and we do have a great relationship, but I like to pick on her. So I, but but I, will say, I will say this, that my wife, when it comes to this topic, as I'm studying this, I'm just like, man, that's, that's, so, that's so Nicole. One of the tension in our marriage, it's, it's a good, healthy tension, but one of the tensions in our marriage is she's always, she's always anticipating people's needs. And it gets like borderline almost out of hand where I'm like telling her like, can you just stop anticipating people's needs right now and just like, like chill out. Like, let, let's just enjoy this. Stop anticipating what everybody else needs right now. And so, you know, if I've got like a long day, there's just like these little things I'll find throughout my day often that she'll just do for me without telling me to just do them for me to, to make my day go easier. If I go on a trip, you know, I'll 
be like walking with my backpack, be like, man, it's a lot heavier than when I packed it. And then when I get where I'm going, I open it up and it's like all my favorite, you know, snacks or whatever, because she's just anticipating something that, that, that I, would, I would like or, or something that I would need. And when I look at my wife, she's one of the happiest people I know. I love it. Denim and Maddie, uh, who are here. I mean, Maddie runs Bridge Kids with Denim, the campus pastor. Both of them are just so, so good at this. Even in conversation, when you talk with them, they're just always asking questions about how you're doing and what you want to talk about. On Tuesday, we went somewhere with, a, with all of our staff. And I just noticed that Denim, the whole time, was grilling out for the whole staff. And Maddie was just serving everybody, taking things off the grill and, and, and running them to people. So they didn't enjoy that whole time. Maybe they did, but they didn't, they didn't look like, you know, they were, they were just working. They were just serving everybody that whole time. Or I think of uh, Jordan. He was the campus pastor. He's over at Randhurst. But every, every morning, he goes into the office and he fills the Keurig. Isn't it annoying when you show up to the office and like the coffee maker is, uh, is empty? It's just like, it's so annoying. And uh, one time Jordan got upset because the Keurig was empty and he wanted some coffee. And so he just made it his goal. I'm gonna come in five minutes early every, every morning. I'm gonna fill the Keurig. And as I fill the Keurig, I'm gonna pray for the happiness of everybody that I come into contact with today. God, I pray for the happiness of everybody that I run into. And, and just as I am filling this Keurig, I want you to fill people through me to fill other people. And I'm just gonna have the faith that, that you're going to fill me. This is how we live as followers of Jesus. That's very weird. That's unnatural, but this is how we live. We live supernaturally. I don't look to my own interests. But I'm constantly waking up every day thinking of the interest of others. And I'm gonna have the faith that God will cover my desires. I just need to focus on him and bless those that God has put in my life. We don't live like the world. We live supernaturally. We live different. We're God's peculiar people. And this whole idea of self-love, we're not going to bash it. But this is just one of those ways that we're just going to be different than the rest of the world. We're just going to constantly be looking to the interests of others as we love God, love others, and embrace how God made us. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, would you give it a share? It goes a long way. Also, don't forget to subscribe if you haven't yet. Hey, God has something for you today. Go after it. Blessings. Blessings.